Welcome to the Tabletop Submarine, where we dive a little bit deeper into why we love board games. Strap in and prepare for a deep sea adventure. Here are your hosts. Hey, Andrew. Yes? I was actually recently at the DMV, and you all know DMV visits are just absolutely horrible, but I ran yeah. into someone crazy. Guess who it was? I don't know. I ran into Thor. Not like Chris Hemsworth, like the actual god of thunder. I ran into Thor. Okay. And apparently he was there waiting in line because his father had registr- he had like registration fines because he hadn't paid for his like car registration. It was really crazy. He was there, you know, to pay the fees for Odin. Mm. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listeners, welcome to another episode of the Tabletop Submarine Podcast. It is so good to have you here. As always, I am your co-host Josh, and with me is my better half. Uh, this is Andrew reluctantly, but yes, I am here. <laughs> and today's guest is Chris B- Baki. He is a game designer of, well, at this point, he's pretty well known. There's a lot of stuff out there. Uh, his newest project, it's on Kickstarter now, is called Spies, I believe. Is that right, Chris? Yes. So Spies actually launched in October. And uh, we funded, and we're almost ready to get that out on sale as of right now. We're in the final processes of translating some of the like 15 or 16 different languages that we have uh, ready to go. And we're really proud of the game, and I can't wait to get it on sale and uh, show the rest of the world. So not only are you the owner of NoBox Games, you've, you're kind of in and out of lots of the design forums and board game forums. So if people maybe don't know who you are, maybe aren't social media, who are you and where maybe they might know you from besides maybe spies? Sure. So um, I'm Chris Baki. My last name rhymes with hockey. 40 years old. I'm originally from the U.S. I currently live in Birmingham, U.K. with my wife. Long walks along a beach whenever I can. (laughs) As far as games go, I currently have 15 signed games uh, with different publishers, um, most of which aren't out yet and nothing's been announced, but it will be just once everything's been uh, put out there. I started making games in 2016, and I really focused on easy-to-learn, easy-to-play games with about five minutes to teach and usually about 20, 30 minutes to play. Um, when the pandemic started and everything went to lockdown, I started uh, virtual playtesting with Ian Brocklebank, uh, another game designer based up in Leeds, and we've... Uh, grown that to one of the biggest groups for online playtesting. Um, we meet Mondays and Thursdays at 6 p.m. UK time, and it's it's not just for designers. It's for anyone that wants to come and playtest some cool games. Um, you know, there's rules for reciprocity. We have a code of contact to keep people safe, and it's become a great place to get honest feedback about your games. Um, a couple years ago, I started looking at how I can pitch more efficiently, where I realized that research was such a key part of pitching, not just not just to come correct, but to really understand who's looking at what and why they are. So I started building a database for myself. And after realizing other people had that same need, I started tabletoppublishers.com, which is basically an online database of publishers that you can sort, you can search, you can filter, and it's an opportunity to save a ton of time when you're researching who to pitch. And it's always about thinking sniper, not shotgun. You know, yes. pick out 
specific publishers you want to pitch and then spend your time to pitch them correctly. And yes. it's fair to say I've put in hundreds of hours on research on this and, and usually dozens of hours every few months alone, just um, making sure that's as up to date as I can. No Box Games started about a year ago because I wanted to make some games of the uh, the print and play variety. And I, I saw the success of Voyages with uh, Matthew Dunstan and Rory O'Connor. And I thought, okay, so what they're doing with this is they're cutting out the biggest biggest hassles of board game publishing, which is usually the manufacturing, the distribution, um, the fulfillment, all that stuff. When your fulfillment is just an electronic file that could be sent to anyone in the world with an email address, it's so much easier to fill that. So you can focus on the design part on the cam- on the Kickstarter campaign, and then you can also focus on just building that community, that audience of people, and then grow from there. So mm-hmm. I got a team together. We have so I'm one third of the of the Novax teams. We have Christian Fosh, our graphic designer and artist extraordinaire. He's also working on uh, some other amazing projects. I'm sure you'll hear about soon. And Rocky De Leon, who is our marketing guy and also a lot of photoshop expertise has been shared by him and i'm the i'm the designer of the game spies which was our first game so in october we launched it on kickstarter we had over 2000 backers and i'm so happy that andrew was one of them we fulfilled the english and german versions as quickly as we could and then we've kind of started this this journey in the past couple of months towards getting the rest of the story up to play we didn't expect the community translation the, the, the community of translators to offer as many translations as they did. It might be because it was just a very easy sort of sell to them. We've already got it set sure. up in an Excel spreadsheet, just fill in the blanks and have a look at the final file when it's done. So there, I think we have 15 or 16 that we're currently working through. And once everything has been done and delivered to the backers, we'll be putting it up on sale uh, on our own website on itch.io on, on drive through RPG um, mm-hmm. And everywhere else we can. We did publish the early ver- the uh, the English and German version with PNPRK to try to coincide with Thanksgiving. And once the backers get all the translations, we'll update them as well. So backers get it first. Everyone else gets it later. As well, it should be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, now that we've gotten to know Chris, let's go ahead and get ready to jump into our pre-launch to talk about games we've played recently. The pre-launch. Get to know us and our guests. Okay, in the pre-launch, we talk about games we played recently, give a brief recommendation or not a recommendation, whatever it may be. I'll go ahead and kick things off, and then I will throw it over to Chris after that. So, I recently got a chance to play Clank Catacombs. So, this is the most recent rendition of the ever-popular Clank, um, what's it called? The ever-popular Clank series, I guess is the best way to yeah. put it. So, I... I played Clank for the first time, just based Clank at PAX Unplugged with Andrew and our friend Patrick at the Level Up Board Game Podcast. And I was, you know, blown away. I am not a deck building guy. Don't like deck building too much. It's just not my jam. But I love Clank. Despite all the things I find irritating about deck building, I cannot get enough of Clank when I sit down to play it. So Clank Catacombs comes out. And what makes this different is that it's tile laying. You have these giant tiles that make this modular dungeon as you go along. And I gotta say, I very much enjoyed it. 
Nice. There is still the spirit of Clank there, the deck building and trying to pick out the best cards with the randomness of the tiles going out and you trying to go as far as you can into the dungeon, but also get out as fast as you can. I had a fantastic time playing it. The thing I really like the most about it is that there's, there are cards that actually turn the tiles 180 degrees. So I actually find that some people might find that irritating. I absolutely loved it because your plans may be messed up in an instant, which makes the game 10 times better in my opinion. So a villain <laughs> comes up, rotate your ro- rotate your tile 180 degrees. Any tile that has a, a person on it, rotate it. So you rotate it and holy cow, this my entire plan's messed up. I'm going to take forever getting back. But then there's <laughs> cards that come up that say, hey, you can turn your tile any way you want. Go ahead. And so, oh, wait, I can do this. And I'm back at the front entrance in like 10 minutes. It's it's crazy, it's wacky, it's wild. It's everything that makes Clank great, in my opinion. Will I buy it? Probably not, only because <laughs> I just don't... I have to be in the mood for a deck builder, and I'm never in the mood for a deck builder. Even as one as great as Clank, it's just <laughs> like, eh, I don't think I'm going to sit down and play this too often because I'd rather play something else. My, like Clank is cream of the crop deck building in my time band. But it just goes to show, like, I'm just not a deck building guy. But if you are in the deck building, Clank Catacombs is fantastic. And Clank is the best deck builder, in my opinion. But that's my opinion on Clank Catacombs. Chris, what have you been playing recently? Yeah, so um, so funny story. For a long time, I didn't actually buy many games as a game designer, I know. <gasps> but uh, for, 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 a, <laughs> for a long time, I was a digital nomad. And I had very limited suitcase space, so I didn't even have much uh, space for like game design bits and so on. So, what's a digital uh, nomad really? What's a, what's a digital nomad? A digital nomad is a person who lives uh, in wherever they want. They live nomadically and they work digitally. So they work wherever they want in in the world. Um, what as long as their job doesn't require them to to you know physically touch something. So writing, editing. I've done proofreading. You could do video development. Almost anything that's done on a computer can be done from anywhere in the world as long as you have an internet connection. Um, cool. But that means every few months we would go somewhere new. And uh, this was a wonderful experience. We've since settled down uh, last year here in England. Uh, but the, what that meant is that I didn't normally get the chance to buy many games. And now that I'm in England, there's lots of charity shops here, um, You know, like the Goodwills and Salvation Armies in the U.S. And what's been fun uh, to find, like you find the games and most of the time I just, you know, take them apart for the pieces. But one that I bought that I'm going to keep is called Genius Square or The Genius Square uh, by Happy Puzzle. And this is a real-time race uh, to place tetrominoes in a board with random blocks placed via dice. So the dice, you roll them and then this tells you where these unmovable blocks are going to be placed. And then you're putting okay. these tetrominoes around those pieces. Um, and it's it's a one or two player game. It's There's always a solution, but it's a real-time race to find it. And I think it's going to appeal very strongly to a certain type of player, the type of player that likes fast, quick puzzles. I mean, this might take you two or three minutes up around. And when you're done, um, you know, one of you, someone wins, you can roll the dice again and get another uh, setup that makes uh, another round. But yeah, it's it's going to appeal to some people very strongly. It's the sort of game that will play uh, or demo very well at a convention. And if you're the sort that likes that type of puzzle, then of course, you know, Happy Puzzle has got a lot of other cool stuff. 
I didn't know the Happy Puzzle Company actually made games. I yeah, well, it, it, it's, I, it's, it's, it's a gamified puzzle. It might be better to say it like that. For some reason, I've always heard the name, but I thought they I built like actual like jigsaw-type puzzles. I, didn't, oh, I got a whole new thing to look at now. <laughs> I, I love Goodwill finds. I think some of the best oh, yeah. finds I've had for charity shops. I think one time I found Patchwork, which was great. That's um, great. Yeah, Patrick was a great find. I found many copies of photosynthesis that I've been able to, you know, buy. (laughs) Sad to say, but I'm able to buy and flip those because I I like buying and flipping board games as long as they're in good condition. If they're in bad condition, I usually take them and use them for parts because I don't want people playing a crappy game. But yeah, Um, Uh, my my best find is a is a is a near complete full set of D and D, like a starter (gasps) set for ninety nine cents. Wow. It was it was missing one die. That's crazy. I know, right? I know, right? <laughs> I have no idea what happened to the point where someone said, "Oh, you know, I got maybe they got this as a gift," and they said it wasn't for them. Um, and I don't know what caused them to price it like that, but um, right. yeah, do, do, I mean, the dice alone are worth twenty bucks. Yeah, they're trying to get out before the OGL goes into place. That's yeah, that's that's, that's <laughs> hey, clearance sales on dice, man. I'm there. I'm there. Awesome, sweet, Andrew. What have you been playing recently? So, whenever I get on a plane, one of the first things I do is I jump on iTunes and I find out what the newest board game app that I can play is and download it, and kind of get a chance to play some new stuff that way while I'm on a plane and I'm stuck in a small environment. Um, and for whatever reason, Sagrada never made my, it, I never noticed it. So I finally, this time saw it. Of course I jumped on it immediately and I've been playing the hell out of it. Not only do I love this game by Aaron, Darren Andrews, but I really think that the app is actually a phenomenal version. Uh, this one has a lot of things in it that I can't even play with the regular box version that I have at home. So it has, uh, not only an AI that I can play against, but also it has a daily puzzle. So as long as you connect to the internet, you can play against everybody in the world and see how you rank on that, and you get five cracks at it, which I think is great. But it also has a campaign mode, so I can kind of progress the way through with different puzzles and different things going on. So the three combinations of that means I'm playing this at least once a day, and it's a great way to wake up in the morning and kind of get my day started, get my brain moving, stuff like that. So I've been enjoying the hell out of the Sagrada app. The Star Realms app is also spectacular, I have to say. I've heard that, but I haven't practiced done that one yet, so that'll be yeah. on the list. Shout out to the Root app. Long may it rain as far as <laughs> onboarding complexity to a very simple, simple, simple game. Ah, geez. I, I, I love – I mean, board game apps are getting so much better. I think oh, really yeah. – it's. Int- I think it's so good for the industry because introducing you know these games that you know people normally wouldn't buy – to people who play tons of app games that hopefully gets them interested into the tabletop experience, which I still like me. I love the the board game route. I love the app. I play the app with people who don't know the game and it gets them to buy the board game because they want to sit down and have the table experience. That's awesome. And there's something to be said about something to be said about the board game, helping to admin the experience, both in the setup of the whole thing and just helping to run the game, reminding people, you know, either visually or auditorily, like what's happening now 
showing where things go. And then, of course, just making sure the rules are followed correctly. Yeah. And on top of that, I think it's really wonderful to not only onboard people who don't normally play games through the apps or Board Game Arena or whatever. It's a great place for me to test out something before mm-hmm. I actually spend the money on the physical copy. Because, of course, there's nothing better than game night with my friends and a real-life copy and a real-life table and stuff like that. But this also helps fill the time at waiting in the line at the shopping center or something like that or whatever, if there's ever a line or a queue that I have to get into. So I think this is really great, too. It's crazy how the board game and video game spheres are slowly interconnecting. You know, we have Gloomhaven, which is a board game now. Can't mm-hmm. wait for Frosthaven to come out because I'm never going to play the physical board game of Frosthaven. <laughs> it's yeah, it really is a great thing to all see all these classic games like Sagrada coming to the app store for people to enjoy. Well, that's it for our pre-launch. My instruments are ready to fire. Are you folks ready to dive deep into a story? Dive. Yes. Let's do it. Chris, my dude. Take us away. The helm is yours. Yeah, so uh, my story is all about playtesting today. And uh, both, obviously, there's both real world stories and virtual stories, but the real world stories just come alive more. You can really enjoy people's energy as they're as you're playing your game. And if you're a newer designer and you and you've had this opportunity to see people get excited about your game, it's a it's yeah. a wonderful feeling, and I can't wait to, for you to have it the first you know fifty eight thousand times that you can. Fifty thousand one <laughs> might get a bit old, but until then, yeah. Um, so one of my most memorable experiences playtesting a game, uh, I think we were in Eastern Europe somewhere. We're at a co-working space, and it's one of those networking events where I brought a couple of party games. I thought I'll just try to see if anyone's interested. And uh, one of the games I was testing was called Who Shot the Sheriff. It's a social deduction game, uh, still available for signing if anyone's interested, by the way. Uh, it play. It plays. <laughs> I have to put it out there, man. No, it, it goes casual, four to of course. Four. It is casual, exactly. So four to twenty players, uh, twenty thirty minutes to play, ages twelve and up. Um, someone shot the sheriff, but they didn't shoot the deputy. Of Nothing? course. Okay, down, thank down, you. Down, down, <laughs> exactly. Down. So um, <laughs> I started. So I started a game, and I realized at the time it was a six to twenty player game. So I managed to, to round up the six players, and we started playing. And as we're playing, you know, we're laughing, we're having a great time. A few more people come over. They're like, "Hey, we want to play." Okay, great. So feel free to watch the rest of this round. See if you can figure out what's going on. If there's any questions, I'll be happy to answer. So our six players turned into a, tw- a ten player game. For the second round and the players that played the first time had a bit more experience they knew how to lie more effectively which was great ah, um, yes. and then enough people showed up from there and we basically just had like two-thirds of the room um come that wanted to play and the game goes six to twenty so i said well what the hell let's try it at 20 players and see what happens so we're getting everyone settled 20 people around this one big conference room style table and right as we're about to start the 21st player comes up and i'm like (laughs) can i play too and i'm like i actually yes technically this can work there's 21 character cards and for yeah so i I put a 20 players so that one card is always burned it's out of the game but i can technically take a 21st player so we sat her down we got them we got everyone settled in 
And it was, it was like herding cats, but it was absolutely fun <laughs> and absolutely hilarious. Just, just hearing all the different conspiracies and stories happening around the table. So in Who Shot the Sheriff, Someone Shot the Sheriff. Someone Shot the Sheriff. They didn't shoot the deputy. The judge has called the town to the courtroom, and together they're going to figure out who done it. And the judge okay. has called the judge. So the judge has called the deputy to the courtroom, but the judge doesn't know who the deputy is. So someone in the town, someone in the someone, one of the players is absolutely the deputy, but any player can claim to be any role. So we start the okay. game off. One person is the judge. They'll flip their card face up. I'll give them a wooden gavel and they'll pam 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 the table. And I, I may have to make it a writer with the uh, the publisher that this absolutely has to be in the game, non negotiable. Yeah. If I if I can get that sort of clout. If poetry for Neanderthals has a bat, I can have a gavel. Exactly. The judge gets the gavel, and they are they're the known good guy. But in most social deduction games, you have to have this eye-closing phase. You have to have this whole making contact with each other. And there's also a lot of player elimination in some games. So I set out to have no eye-closing, and I set out to have yep. no player elimination. And I also said, well, I'd love it if I could make it to where – like. One person doesn't have to run the game, you know. Right. So they, they don't have to be omnipotent or omniscient. They can play along. So the judge is is the manager of the game, but they don't get access to any secret information. There's uh-huh. no eye closing. There's no eye closing. So the good the good guys won't know who's on their team. The bad guys won't know on who's on their team. And there's no player elimination. One round. It's a bit like One Night Ultimate Werewolf in that there's one round, and once the round is over, um, you can swap out cards and pass out new roles and things like that but okay so as people were playing they were having a blast they were talking they were trying to convince the judge that this person is the murderer this person must be on the accomplices team and you know once once the play test gets started it feels like you've kind of word up this this creation and it just sort of take off on its own and i remember mm-hmm. thinking okay i really need to get like a drink of water here can I? At what point can I step back from this? Has it has it launched enough yet? Because right. even for a simple game, when there's 21 players around a table, there's going to be questions. And yeah. it was about halfway through the game. I'm looking around, and people are looking engaged. They're looking at each other. They're talking to the judge. None of them are looking at me with this frantic, exasperated "Help! I don't know what I'm doing" sort of face. Right. And so at that point, I'm, I'm taking slow step steps back. You know, Homer Simpson into the bush style. Grab my, <laughs> grab my bottle of water, just take a deep breath, and everyone's going. Everyone's playing without me needing to, to micromanage things. Like, this is nice. We need to do this more often. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so that that was a that was an amazing experience. Uh, I actually had a really cool one um, about a week ago. Similar sort of experience. We're playing another uh, large count party game called Diffuse. Um, this is a real-time bomb diffuser game, and another game that I'm happy to get signed that is looking for a publisher. Uh, casual plug. <laughs> um, Good. And it goes up to eight players. It's a ten-minute real-time game with turns that you take. So you know, there's a bomb in the middle. There's bombs in the middle of the table. Most of you are on. You're all on a submarine, appropriately for tabletop submarine, and yep. most of you are uh, officers trying to defuse the bombs. You're not trained bomb defusal technician people, so you're just trying to defuse it with whatever tools you've got handy. So there's a paperclip, there's a hairpin, there's a hammer. You know, these are the tools you use. Okay. Um, so on your turn, you'll play tool cards. You might play an action card face up. 
that kind of pauses the game until it's it's resolved. You might uh, discard and redraw some cards, and you can accuse another player of being a bad guy. You've got officers, the good guys. You've got bomb makers, the bad guys. And you have heroes that are good guys, but they only win if the last bomb is diffused with less than three minutes left. So if the, ah, officers are, okay. if the officers are too good at their job, the hero will try to slow them down. And, of course, they'll say, yeah, I'm a hero. I promise. I promise. I really want the game to, to last a little bit longer. And it's a very suspicious thing to say. And it might be, it's, also <laughs> a <good> cover. <laughs> it's also a good cover for the bomb makers as well. So this followed the same sort of uh, scenario last week. We started with four players. And we, we had a great round. We laughed a lot. And like more people showed up, they 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 heard the action. They were curious uh, what was happening, and um, I was able to you know get them to to stick around and and play the next game. So we had eight people going around the table, and it it, it just feels like magic when a playtest comes together. And it doesn't even feel like a playtest at that point. It's just almost a demo. You know, it's still a playtest. Yeah. You're still observing people's reactions to things. You're still watching to see what they're being confused about. So I'm still mm -hmm. in full observation mode. And my hope is that it doesn't feel like a playtest to the players. It feels like it's time to play a game. It's time to play a real game that just happens to have some some rough-looking art this guy made in PowerPoint, you know. Well, I feel like with playtests in general, the game generally, as long as the designer is fairly good, is a good game, right? You can you, it's I think it's easy to get to 85% of a good game fairly quickly. Uh, I think maybe so, yeah. two, three, or not. It's the last 10% that takes 500 iterations to get down to like the super polished version, right? So I think it's not hard. If people have never done a play test, I actually feel like a lot of people could do a play test and oh, yeah. it's not painful. It's actually a lot of fun. It's a lot of interesting things out there. And it's actually a, a great place to see new ideas being formed and tried and stuff like that. Uh, but I agree with you also that there's a lot of magic in the joy and laughter that happens in gaming anyway. But if it ends up being out loud, then it ends up propagating other people to join in. And I think that's phenomenal. That's that's the great part of it is including others and driving them to the table to join you. Exactly. Now, and and one thing to note for uh, for anyone testing party games, this is one of those things where, like these these two environments were both places that had plenty of room for people to kind of spread out. If you're in kind of your average FLGS with there's and there isn't a lot of sound uh, barriers, this is one mm -hmm. thing you want to be conscious of. I was testing a game called How Much Money. This is a party game uh, where the question is always, how much money would it take to get you to do this thing? And this game, okay. this this game's been signed. Sorry, publishers, and will likely be coming out later this year. Yay! But, uh, yeah. So, but uh, yeah. So, so one person is the daredevil. They're going to read the stunt. They're going to do out loud, and they'll write down an amount of money that they would do this thing for. Now, the, the, you know, these are dirty. They're dangerous. They're disgusting, humiliating, whatever. But uh, there's you, you probably have a price. You can also write nothing meaning I would do it for free, or mm -hmm. no amount of money, meaning never in a billion years, not even for a trillion dollars. Uh, and right. those are both legitimate answers. So you write down your answer, one person, everyone else gets to ask them yes or no questions. So for example, the stunt is swim across an Olympic-sized pool full of sharks. Okay. And 
So the, the, the Daredevil writes their answer quest, their answer down, and everyone else gets asked some yes or no questions. Um, are you a fast swimmer? Are you afraid <laughs> of sharks? Do you have any open cuts right now? You know, things like that. And of course, there's, there's <laughs> some fun in the in forming these questions, but it's also a chance to get to know this person and um, and their their the, maybe their pain threshold. Um, right. So the goal of this is to also figure out what 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 they might have written down, and it's not about how much you would do it for. It's how much they would do it for. So you kind of have mm-hmm. to get into their head a little bit. So everyone else writes down their gu- their guesses, and we have a little bit of wits and wagers like betting where we'll reveal our mm-hmm. answers. The closest answer without going over scores some points, and every chip of the correct answer scores that person one point. So even if you don't get the correct answer yourself, you can still score some points. Um, this is this is a this is a, a boisterous sort of game. Another sort of case yes. where you get five, six people around a table, and they're all laughing out loud. And at this one particular uh, FLGS, it was a great place. It's a fun board game cafe. Uh, but we actually had the staff come over and be like, hey, can you guys just try to keep it down a little bit? We've got <laughs> you know, other gamers here that want to you know, play the, the deeper strategy games, and um, you're being a little bit too loud for them. The magic okay. players are complaining. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> at, at, at that point, all you could say is, hey, sorry about that. Okay, guys, you know what to do. Let's turn it from like an eight to like a three. And in future playtests, uh, they offered, they actually had a, a separate room, almost like a conference room style thing with a door from the rest of the cafe. So um, it had just one That's big nice. table around the outside. So I, I asked him if it's possible, can I use this, this, this kind of function room or party room for for the louder games, just so I'm not, you know, disrupting the rest of you. And, and most of the time that worked out. So my name is Joe Schmo. I have a great desire to play board games. I've been playing board games for years. I see lots of my friends are designing games. I don't want to design a game though. It's not my interest. I, I enjoy cooking and barbecue and board games, but I don't want to make board games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But my friends seem to have a lot of fun playtesting games. Why should I, a not person who's a designer, playtest other designers' games? Okay, so um, one fun thing about playtesting is you've got this. Th- so I want you to think of this timeline from when from a, from when a game gets published. When you first hear the, when you first see the game on the shelf, this is this is time zero. And for a game to have gotten mm-hmm. to this stage. We have all the stuff that had to have come before it. So years and years before Time Zero, a designer somewhere in the world had this idea for a game about woodland creatures, um, a very strategic game about woodland creatures. So they started testing that game. And people liked it. They had fun. They had, there were some broken parts. There were some issues. And with the game as complex as Root, of course, there's going to be just things that had to be sorted out. But you know they continue playtesting, and the people that got to playtest the game we now know as Root got to pl- see it three, maybe four, maybe five years before it was published. You know, so playtesting a game gives you a chance to see bleeding edge design. It's one thing to go to like Essen or Gen Con Origins and see the new stuff there, or to go on uh, Board Game Geek and see the hot list. It's another thing entirely to say, you've got a game that's so new, Board Game Geek hasn't even heard about it yet. Mm-hmm. You know, So on one level, you've got this opportunity to see bleeding into stuff. You have this idea that um, 
I'm sure you've seen the memes on uh, on Facebook or social media. The 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 cost of writing your friend's book a review is zero dollars. Right. Uh, the cost of supporting your friends by showing up to their events is, you know, zero dollars or maybe or maybe just a ticket cost. You know, very few things you can, mm-hmm. you need to do to help a friend actually cost a ton of money. Playtesting is one of those things where you can show up, you can playtest, you can have fun. Because if it's not mm-hmm. fun, what are you doing? You're playing a game and you're not having right. fun? Come on. Get to see the leading edge stuff. More than a few designers uh, like to compensate their, their playtesters with pizza or drinks mm-hmm. or you know other, um, other stuff to eat. And you also do get the sense that you're going to be treated like a freaking rock star. Whenever we've got um, non-designer playtesters in, in virtual playtesting, remote playtesting, yeah, you're the rock star here, man. The designers mm-hmm. are there because it's part of the reciprocity of the group. But these are, you know, not having a designer. If you're not as a designer, you're you're just giving of your time, and that's always appreciated. It's always appreciated to have those thoughts coming in to play. I'll also add to that that you get to be that hipster that like knows about the band before it got big, right? Like, yes. so like, oh yeah, I know. I played this game. Three years ago, mm-hmm. and it didn't even have this in it. Isn't that cool? Like, that's interesting. But also, in generally, you also get to partake in how that game shapes. Exactly. Like, you can actually have input in which directions that game goes, in which ways it gets better, and in which ways it can be more of maybe your taste. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying the designer will listen to everything you say, but it'll get closer to the kind of thing that you like if you're the one providing feedback. So that's kind of cool too. And sometimes your name gets ended up sticking the rule book, which is yeah. also kind of cool, especially if your name is Joe Schmo. I want to see Joe Schmo underneath the playtesters line in the playbook or the rule book. Exactly. And there's all, there's often a lot of chances to give that feedback. And sometimes it's, it's not even a huge amount of feedback. Great story. So once upon a time, I had a game called Unicorn Zoo. It was uh, kind of like Jurassic uh, Jurassic World 2. There's that scene where they're auctioning off the dinosaurs. And I thought, okay, okay. This, this, is kind of, this is kind of fun. So uh, we've got a company. They had, um, they're had they able to create unicorns, and we're selling them off to the, uh, the select clientele of super rich people. You are the players that represent these super rich people that can uh, acquire them, pair them up, try to trade them if you want. So a bit of modern art, a bit of um, a set collection, a bit. Um, I changed the theme to uh, working on Mars. So the, the supplies have come into the Mars colonies, and now you're auctioning them off and then trying to fit them in. One of the playtesters suggested, well, right now they're just cards. Wouldn't it be more interesting if they were like tetrominoes? Because these are shipping containers coming in different sizes, different shapes. I'm like, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I changed the mechanics to go from you're auctioning off this card to you're just drawing a thing from a bag, essentially. And so we're playing this game about you know Mars colonies and tetrominoes, and a playtester just kind of blurted out the word bento, the Japanese lunchbox bento boxes. And mm-hmm. he was like, you know, I'm, I'm picturing you know bento boxes and how I'm assembling a lunchbox this meticulous, amazing fashion. And how can, like, could that work as a theme? And I said, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Okay, cool. So you don't normally auction off food. So that element had to change. 
but eventually it did. It went to just kind of a drafting uh, sort of thing. So you you draft a piece and a card, and you put it in you put it in your bento box. And this is also another sign game. So sorry, publishers. Uh, but <laughs> the Hashtag yeah. not a plug. Not a plug. <laughs> but yeah, so that's how you can go from a game about auctioning off unicorns to drafting foods for a, a bento box in what four easy steps, I guess. And those right. those major changes all came from publisher from playtesters. They all came from people that that played the game and had an opinion they were willing to to, to say. Now, goes without saying, if you're a playtester, you have to understand not every change you suggest will be incorporated or put into the game and that's okay we are going to listen yeah. to everything you have to say we have a filtering process that you know we so we have our own vision of what we want the game to be and we also know how we want to present the game if it's a gateway game if it's a party game if it's a medium weight game and some changes won't fit with the type of game where we want to make so yeah feedback is always helpful but it's not always used yes I think it's one thing that people are really scared sometimes to jump into playtesting because they want to be a good playtester. And I think you bring up a very interesting point is that playtesting is a skill. It is something yes. you develop. You become better at it. Just like, just like with anything. It's not like, oh, you sit down, you're automatically a good playtester. You know, you could, you could play, you know, hundreds of games, have the new Kickstarters and stuff like that. And when you sit down playtesting, you can just be a deer in the headlights. I've seen it happen many times, but that's okay because trying to understand the – trying to sit down and immediately understand the nooks and crannies of a game, it's going to take a long minute. Playing lots of games helps, like lots of published games, mm -hmm. but yeah. it really is a muscle you have to exercise repeatedly. Yeah, well, uh, and one good thing about this is that it, it's definitely a skill, but it's not a, it's not a difficult skill to begin learning. Um, one thing we've been doing with playtesting, and and what what I've noticed some some designers will do, uh, myself included, is they'll start the playtest by saying what they're testing. So if it's an early playtest, maybe they've re completely reworked everything. So they're not testing one specific thing, but just the amalgamation of all the pieces. In a later playtest, they might say, "I am uh, testing the balance of this style of card." Or I've tweaked uh, the cost and the, the effect, the benefits, the bonus, the boosts, or whatever, of this specific type of thing. So you as a playtester, uh, it, it definitely helps to know what stage the game is in. If it's early stage, right. almost any type of feedback is going to be welcomed and appreciated. If it's near late stage or near finish stage, the number of things I'm testing is going to get smaller as a game gets closer to that finish stage. I almost want to think of it as a pyramid where early stage, mm -hmm. so much, almost anything is on the table, almost anything can be changed. As we move up the pyramid towards a completed game, we have fewer and fewer things we need to really understand. So sharing with me that you have a great theme idea for a near-finished game, I mean, I might say, hey, that's a great idea. If, if you're a game designer, you should make a game about that, because you had the idea. Or... Uh, that's a great idea for a game. I don't think it'll work with this one because we're so far along. But for a future game, or, hey, I've got this other game that could use that theme. I'll have to bring that next time so you can see your theme in action. There you go. So to kind of wrap this conversation up, I want to talk to you from a publishing standpoint, Chris. And Andrew, I think you'll be able to provide insight to this as well. Okay. So I'm thinking of my friend. Do you guys know um, TK King, uh, mm -hmm. Galactic Cruise guy? 
Yes. Absolutely. So he has an entire publishing company. Still working on his first name, but it's a publishing company he intends on starting with his friend, uh, Colton. I'm very acquainted with them. You probably all know him. He has built a very large and respectable community just off of playtesting his one game and playtesting other people's game. To where the point where I am pretty confident if he does his chips right, which he will, he's going to have a very successful first game with Galactic Cruise. So the question is to you, what does playtesting, what role does playtesting play for young publishers who are trying to put out their first game? So I think the biggest thing with with that is understanding that uh, players, if they, if if they like the game, they're going to talk about it. They're going to want to talk about it. And in yes. some of the Facebook groups, people talk about NDAs. I want my playtesters to sign an NDA. Don't. In a word, just don't steal don't. my idea. Don't don't steal, exactly. Don't yeah. Give them the. And, and this is another thing that I've sometimes said in, in public playtestings. I have encouraged and invited playtesters, hey, if you want to take a picture, please feel free to. Feel free to post it on social media. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, if, like sometimes you go to a con and you'll see, you know, use our hashtag to enter a drawing or whatever. That's fine. But yeah, basically make it as easy as possible for the playtester to, to share your game and then share it in a way that brings – Brings you the hype you're trying to get. Um, yeah. You know. So, for example, uh, one thing that I've seen done: if you go to some uh, playtesting sessions at cons, they'll have a, a sheet of paper, like on a on a plastic stand, and it will say the name of the game, the designer's name, how long it takes. So I could snap one picture and have all this data about the game. I can also uh, ask the designer, "Hey, what was the name of this game again?" Or it's got this weird spelling. Uh, or what's the website people can go to if they want to learn more? And if your right. website is mailchimp.com slash tz4qk slash da-da-da-da, <laughs> you know, no one's ever going to, to remember that or spell it correctly. You know? Correct. If, it, if it's your website here slash subscribe – one, it sounds just easier to say. It's shorter and cooler. Uh, if you have a QR code, that's always that's always good as well. Yeah. For better or for worse, one thing COVID has done is it's made everyone much more familiar with how QR codes work. Everyone now knows how Ooh. to take a QR code from their phone, hopefully, and scan it with something. But yeah, so encouraging the hype and then building it to let them be you know, the ambassadors they may want to be. Yeah, I was going to say, that's where I want to go with it. I think it's ambassadorship. I think it's, if they like the game, they'll tell people about the game, or maybe they recruit people to play test with them. Maybe they just want to come back and play again, Yes, which I think is enough for me. Like, I just want people who like the game, and I've experienced this personally with one of my games that's coming out later this year, is I went to a con, and I became kind of a pseudo celebrity at this con because the game was so good and it was like it was very very humbling and also i feel like i'm bragging here but it was also just a a wonderful experience to be playing the game and then we put the game away and i go to place play somebody else's game and somebody comes over and taps me on the shoulder hey next time you play that game can i play and i'm like all right i've already got a sign up list for the next time i'm playing that's phenomenal and that's that's how i knew i was in the right track but also that also just provides more goodwill and also just a level of excitement that goes into that. And that's contagious. Exactly. And that's what you want. Exactly. So even when it's over, 
and the people go home, maybe they'll reach out to me in six months and be like, hey, what's the progress with this game? And I'll be like, hey, here's the progress with the game. Here's what's going on with it. Um, would you like to play test it for me with your own personal group? And you can just kind of spread the word and kind of expand. And I also think that there's a lot of people out there who are worried about their games being in the hands of people in playtest versions and stuff like that. As long as I get feedback from that, I am more than happy to give you a copy of this game that you really, really like that may not be the final version later on because when a publisher gets it, he's going to create an amazing version of that game and you're going to have the dumpy, crappy version that I could put together. So I'm not really worried that if you like the game with the dumpy, crappy version, you're going to want to buy the polished, beautiful artwork version when it comes out. Exactly. So I spread my love, spread my love all over the place, try to get as many people to try it as possible, and they're definitely going to want the good version when it's ready. Exactly. And uh, one thing that also helps is it does help to uh, allow playtesters to determine how, how, how deep down the rabbit hole do they want to go. Uh, I'm always yeah. welcoming of playtesters coming back for the second time, the fifth time, the tenth time, because they're going to bring, you know, a more strategic mind to things, things that they might have struggled with the first time, they'll understand and grok the second time. If they're sat down with someone else at the table playing for the first time, they can explain the game in their own words. And I love doing that because it's one of those things where you remember 90% of what um, you teach someone else. Because you have to fully understand yes. it yourself, synthesize that information, and then reparse it to someone else. So as I'm listening to someone, someone teach my game to someone else. I'm, I'm listening first for you know dysfunctional accuracy. Are they teaching it correct? But I'm also to some extent yeah. listening to what order they're putting things in, because there's a very decent chance they know how to teach my game better than I do, especially if it's a newer game, because I've, they've had opportunities now to to see it enjoy the current version whereas my my previous teaching style has remembered version one version two version 12 so right my teaching style may not have changed much since version one they only know the one version the one that matters right now so i'm watching that i might ask someone do you feel like um uh showing this game to some friends of yours do that like this type of game i'm happy to you know box up a prototype copy and give you one um, mm -hmm. I've had people offer to buy like prototype copies just because like they, they know the world that we live in. It's going to be years before this thing is released. I want to play this with my friends tomorrow. And my, right. my, my personal answer to that has always been, yes, absolutely happy to do that. I will ask for just the cost of the resources. So if I'm about to hand over right. a, 150 sleeves with, you know, 150 cards in them, I'll ask for, you know, wh whatever the 150 sleeves cost these days, eight, 10 bucks. You know, they don't have to be fancy, but the idea is I'm not asking for nothing. I want them to feel like they're going to value this thing. But at the same right. time, um, I can't just I can't give away 150 sleeves to everyone that wants them. So, uh, but I make it clear that that's just the cost of the material. I'm going to spend hours putting the thing together, printing it, cutting it, sleeving it, whatever. And there's no there's no charge for that. Thank you for playing the game. Please have fun with it. Just help me cover the cost of material. Also, I think there's another thing we can talk about here is the print and play people out there who are amazing. They love to play test. They like to see the cool things. And they also like to bling up the games that you create. Yes. So I've seen some custom artwork thrown into some games like that, and it's really kind of cool. So use that as a resource if you're a game designer, or use it as a resource if you're a game lover who can find 
these great games that are not out there yet and you kind of get to get that that early access part of things and get to try things that way too it's very great exactly and there's so many games out there for it to play it's it's a whole new rabbit hole uh, to go down but it's also a way um if you're if you're if you're listening to this outside of uh of north america or western europe you're probably wondering oh all these games i'm hearing about sound amazing it costs more to ship them to me in mm-hmm. eastern europe south america uh parts of asia um, Oceanic it can cost more to ship a thing than the game costs, and this yeah. comes back to one of the things we we tried to do with NoBox, which was to make these games available to anyone around the world because print-to-play games are just files that could be sent, and they're available to anyone. So, so I remember joking with some friends, "We're gonna it's a it's a four dollar campaign plus free shipping," and everyone yeah. hears free shipping and they go, "Wait, what?" If you're in if you're in Australia and you're used to paying you know fifty Aussie dollars for a game, not like a box of games, but just one game, you hear free shipping. Wait, what? Right. Free worldwide shipping? Oh, it's a print to play. Okay, it's a print to play game. But you know, <laughs> I, I remember talking with with Rocky. I was like, "Do you have any friends on like the ISS or uh, down in Antarctica or just some sort of place where shipping them a game would be just impossible?" Can we get them, right. can we get can we can we even say you know free shipping to the ISS would that be too weird? Um, couldn't <laughs> find anyone, so that didn't happen. But you know, that's 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 me trying to be weird. You trying to be weird, but also to provide access to people all over the world to play games, no matter what their circumstances. Exactly, are. and and it's kind of a long tail once you get past North America and 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 Western Europe. But there are a ton of gamers out there, and that's why we have you know fifteen or sixteen different languages we're supporting. Because those gamers are, are mm-hmm. all over the place. I don't know how many people will be downloading the Hebrew version of Spies, but I love the fact that we have one. There you go. Well, we are very deep into the playtesting ocean at this point. Let's go ahead and see what's on our radar. Okay. I actually want to hear from Chris first, because this is a game I've been eyeing for a very, very, very long time. I just haven't had a group to actually commit to it, and I want to see what your plans are for the future. Yeah, so um, I I recently picked up King's Dilemma from uh, one of the Facebook groups. I've been working on a legacy-style game with lots of narrative storytelling, but so part of me has said, yes, it's for uh, research purposes. And since this right. is audio, I'm putting research purposes in air quotes. Now, um, I don't know. So it's a tax write-off. It's a tax. <laughs> it will be that. <laughs> but uh, I'm definitely hoping to get it to the table. I don't know who I'm going to be playing it with either. So okay. this, this is sometimes the most challenging part of, of having games sometimes is figuring out who you're going to play with. Um, but there, yes. there is a monthly group. Uh, here in Birmingham that meets up and plays games. So I might bring it one time and say, okay, so if anyone wants to play, I'd be delighted to start the game. You know, I would be asking for, you know, commitments from people if they can, you know, manage to come to this monthly event. It might be a slower sort of burn. You might only get one game in per mm-hmm. month, but that's okay. Games are not about how fast you play them. Games are about how you enjoy them. Right. Now that said, I'm, I definitely have uh, been meaning to get it to the table, but also to to get it to the to uh, my 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 secondary table for research purposes. The only reason this game is not in my collection is because I don't have a group of people I can play this with. So yeah. yes, if I'm ever in your neighborhood, I want to play this game and I will play all day long. I don't care. <laughs> I'm in. It's a phenomenal thing. I'm actually really excited to see what this Queen's version of it is too. Yes, the Queen's, Queen's dilemma. dilemma. So I'm curious to see how that adjusts to that. Um, I've heard it's nasty. I've heard it's cutthroat. 
but I also hear it's deep, complex, and rewarding. So nice. I'm all about this one. I just can't put it on my radar because there's no nothing in sight as far as being able to play this one. Speaking of things that aren't in sight physically, we're going to talk about Andrew. I want to hear about your game. So my game that I'm looking forward to is The Voyages of Marco Polo on Board Game Arena. This is a game that's been suggested to me five or six times from different people who just feel like they know what kind of gamer I am. And it always kind of gives me hesitation because there's not only one, but there's actually two of them. And I'm not sure about the differences of them. But now that I see that Board Game Arena has it on there and there's a tutorial that I can learn through that instead of trying to read through that rule book, I'm going to give this one a chance finally. I have no idea what I'm getting into except that it's worker placement adjacent with some special powers. So we'll see how this all goes. Nice. Josh, what are you looking forward to? What am I looking forward to? What a question. Uh, Specifically games, right? That is what I was attending. (laughs) I'm a turd, I know. Um, So I'm looking forward to my city. We talked about my island last time with uh, Martin. Last time Martin was on, Martin Van Russum, who also has a print and play company, Rolling Rhino, conveniently enough. So my city is Renner Knizia's Polyomino Legacy game. So we got two Legacy games on here. I like Polyominoes. I'm not really familiar with Legacy too much because I haven't played too much of it. So I figured this would be a good jumping. I figured this would be a good jumping point because it's supposed to play really well after the game is all said and done. And that's been always my hesitation with uh, playing things like Pandemic Legacy. I like Pandemic just fine, but if I pay through Pandemic Legacy, I'll have that great experience. But then I'm just left with a giant box that I just play Pandemic on, which is not the most appealing sounding thing to me. But I am excited to give my city a try. Polyominoes are some of my favorite types of games. And I adore Rhino Knizia. So that is my city. We've been down in the depths for a very long time. Let's say we ascend up, let Chris go, and breathe the sweet, sweet Birmingham air again. <laughs> Let's ascend. So just real quick, I thought I heard lit Crisco, not let Chris go. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, look, that's what, I started what laughing you do about. in the like, kitchen <laughs> is none of my business, but I think that's going to be, Crisco's lit. I'm pretty sure that's going to be an insurance oh, claim Lord. waiting to happen. <laughs> oh, man. You ever lit Crisco on fire before? <laughs> no. I want to. Thank you anyway. Anyways, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the Tabletop Submarine today. If people want more Chris Baki in their life, if they want more no-box games, what can they do? Sure. So uh, first place to go is going to be entrogames.com. That's E-N-T-R-O games.com. This is my uh, my game studio. No-box games is just like it sounds. Noboxgames.com because we make print-and-play games with no assembly required, so there's no need for a box. We do virtual playtesting on Discord. If you go to virtualplaytesting.com, you'll find a link there. And if you're curious about finding the list of publishers, that's over at tabletoppublishers.com. Excellent. And I'll say I love tabletop publishers. I pay for the service. It's awesome, especially for people who don't know a lot of publishers. It's a good way to actually sort through and see what the best options for you and your game might be. Thank you. Well, listeners, that's going to wrap it up today for our voyage on the Tabletop Submarine. If you want more Tabletop Submarine Life, like us on Facebook, Instagram, you know, give us a rating on iTunes because we're on iTunes now. Anything you can do to support us, we really appreciate it. Well, let's wrap this thing up. As always, I am your host, Josh. 
And I'm Andrew. And this has been the Tabletop Submarine. <laughs>